0: in the beginning, and I'll just narrate through this here. There we go. So our founding pastor had a burden to uh, print the Word of God. He started printing in, or actually assembling, in the basement of the church, and then he had a burden to actually get a printing press and to actually print the Word of God. And the Lord answered his prayer, and we got a printing press, and we had a printer actually to run the press. And that's a unique story in itself there but not only did he give us the press and the printer but he gave us a building Uh, it's a debt-free facility here Uh, people contributed to everything and it's just a blessing there so 38 years the ministry's been around we printed 8 million copies of john romans uh, 24 different countries 13 different languages my call to the ministry started about halfway through the military i was in the air force and i would had many deployments to iraq and afghanistan and those kinds of things i was pretty busy Uh, But uh, it was about halfway through my military career that the Lord really began to work on my heart about going into ministry and serving Him full-time. We didn't know what that meant, but we were at a missions conference in Germany about halfway through, and this missionary presented the ministry of printing and shipping John Romans. We thought it was neat, but I still had uh, time to go in the military. I got assigned to the Pentagon. We're looking for something to do, and we talked to the pastor. You know, what do you have here that we can serve? He says, we have a John Romans ministry. So we're like, all right, the missionary talked to us about it. Let's get involved. So we got involved in that, and the Lord just really burdened us to, to get out of the military and go into full-time ministry. We had no idea what that meant, but we said, okay, our next assignment, wherever you send us, we're going to put our time in and go into full-time ministry. So he sends us to Rapid City, South Dakota, uh, there Mount Rushmore and, and Ellsworth Air Force Base. And every time we moved, before we moved, we'd find a church to go to before we actually found a house. So the first church that we find, we walk into the church the first day. Who do we see? We saw the missionary that we met in Germany uh, 10 years prior. He remembered us. He said, what are you doing here? I told him that we want to go into full-time ministry. I don't know what that means yet, uh, but we committed to that. And he said, I've been praying for 10 years for someone to take over this ministry. Why don't you pray about it? So we did. The Lord uh, gave us peace about uh, about retiring. We retired in 2014, and we've been serving the Lord ever since. The Lord's been so good to us. So I'll give you a little sneak peek here about how we do the John Romans. So uh, we first receive a truckload of paper. It's about 31 rolls of paper that come to our facility. They weigh about 1,300 pounds each. And they're about uh, $1,100 plus uh, per roll. So we stack them up in our warehouse. We get them ready to go onto the printing press. We have two rolls of paper that go onto the printing press here. And each roll can print about 12,500 copies of of the John and Romans. And we print every Monday night for two hours. So we can print about 25,000 John Romans in about two hours. So you see them coming off the press here. We need people to take them off of the press. So when they come off the press, we stack them on pallets and uh, my wife is always trying to get in the picture here, so she's uh, just wanting to, uh, to be part of the, the video here, so she's helping when we're home there. But we stack them on the pallets, and we get them ready for the next phase, which is uh, uh, putting them together. So we have volunteer groups from other churches. Uh, our volunteers from our church come, and uh, we assemble the John Romans. We basically put covers on them, and we stack them up on shelves. So these shelves here, there's about 6,000 John Romans waiting for the next phase, which is stapling and cutting. So here's our stapling and cutting machine. We get two staples, it goes through the conveyor there, gets two cut, or three cuts, one on, on top, bottom, and the long side. And then we manually load them into the boxes by tens. Uh, so all these boxes are manually packed and they get stored in our warehouse and we shipped either to churches like this or around the world. Uh, here they're getting ready to be put into a shipping container like the one we're gonna send to the Philippines. And we can fit about 600 boxes in that uh, shipping container, 20 foot shipping container and uh, we have about an hour to load all those boxes. Uh, so we have as many volunteers as we can get in there, and we're just, just stuffing those boxes in there as quickly as we can because they'll charge us more if, if we take longer than an hour. Uh, but we get it all stuffed in there, and before we close the doors, we always pray over the Scripture that the Lord would uh, save souls and that seeds would be planted and just have His way with, with, uh, with the Word of God. We have other churches also that help us. We have about six, six seed-line churches that help us. And when I'm not on the road doing this, raising support, uh, I'm on the road pulling a trailer uh, full of about six to ten thousand pounds of John and Romans, uh, and I, I give them to our churches that help us uh, support the ministry. And uh, there's only one person that unloads all that material, and uh, you're looking right at them, It's me. Uh, so it's a pretty, pretty long day for me. Uh, but we also go to other churches and we help them out. So I tell people we're not in competition. We're co-laborers together. Uh, but I had an opportunity to go to missions uh, to a missions trip in 2020, just before COVID hit. We sent a container to the southern Philippines, Mindanao, and uh, we were there for three weeks, and I was able to go to different places, and I learned how to do a selfie for the first time there in the Philippines, so uh, they love selfies there, but I really enjoyed my time there, I had preaching, missions conferences and things, and opportunities to witness and go soul winning. We saw lots of lots and lots of people come to know the Lord, you'll see that here in a minute. But uh, it was just a blessing to be there to see from start to finish, uh, uh, printing the Word of God, shipping the Word of God, and then giving out the Word of God. And when you give to our ministry, when you give to missions overall, there's an impact there. And this is the impact here when you give to our ministry. Uh, We were able to preach to these kids, 1,200 kids, for about an hour and a half before the invitation, and this young lady under the window there is coming under conviction already before the invitation. Uh, She realized she was a sinner. She realized that she needed Christ. Many other kids in there are coming under conviction as well. Uh, But really, uh, when it comes down to when they gave the invitation, uh, look at the response here to all these kids uh, raising their hand for salvation. Uh, and there, there's tears there. You can't fake that, folks. That's the Holy Spirit of God moving amongst these kids. Uh, look at that young lady in the front there, just really overcome with emotion. Um, there's teachers in the back there, their hands raised for salvation. Uh, there's that young lady under the window there, her hands being raised for salvation that we saw earlier. And now even police officers, they're raising their hand for salvation. You know, we were just there to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work. And the Holy Spirit did a, did a mighty work in this place, and it was just amazing. Everyone got a copy of the John Romans that we were there. And uh, these young ladies are saying thank you uh, for us uh, doing what we were able to do there. Uh, never heard of, A lot of them never heard of, uh, heard of God before, never had a portion of the Bible. But our burden is to reach lost souls with the printing and shipping of God's Word. And our greatest need right now is for that shipping container to go to the Philippines. Uh, it's about a $10,000 cost to ship it over there. Uh, we have, I think, about $2,500 right now saved up for that. Uh, so if the Lord puts on your heart anything uh, that's a, be a blessing to us, it'll all go into that fund to to ship out uh, to uh, to the Philippines. But we're we're done with that there. So. Uh, So that's in a nutshell what we do. And uh, many folks choose to support us through Faith Promise Missions uh, or individually. Uh, We have folks that uh, give us anywhere from $5 a month to $1,000 a month uh, consistently. So, you know, little is much when God is in it. Amen. And uh, it's just been such a blessing to be part of this ministry. And I just want to thank these churches, thank your church for uh, helping us out over the years. So so let's get into the, the message here this morning. Well, at some point in our lives... We'll all be faced with having to make a major decision, won't we? Uh, some of us had to make major decisions in our lives already, uh, things that would impact the rest of our lives. Uh, for some, that might mean trusting Christ as your personal Savior. That's a pretty, pretty important decision. Uh, for others, maybe it's uh, what college you're going to go to. Maybe some of you are thinking about that, what job that you need to pursue or what your vocation is going to be. Uh, maybe uh, who to marry. Uh, maybe that's uh, something, a decision you're going to have to make here soon. And as I mentioned, uh, my wife and I have been married for 31 years. It feels like 50, but uh, praise the Lord. It's, uh, I just want to see who's awake this morning. You'll get that in a minute. So. <laughs> but uh, we've, had a, we've had a great time, and the Lord's really blessed us. But, but the decisions you make, right, those are major decisions. It's going to impact the rest of your life. In the case of salvation, it's going to impact eternity, right? Those are major decisions. What we do at that moment when we're faced with that major decision impacts the rest of our lives. If you found your place there in Mark 10, we find Jesus talking to a rich young ruler here. And this young ruler is about to be faced with one of those major life decisions. He's initially enthusiastic about going to talk to Jesus. And the main question he wants to ask him is about eternal life. Let's pick it up here. Mark 10 and verses 17 through 22 says this. And when he, talking about Jesus, when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. And kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. Verse 20 says, And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. And verse 22 says this, And he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. This morning I want to preach to you about this one thought from verse 22, and I want to challenge you with a message that I've entitled How Will You Walk Away? How will you walk away when maybe the Holy Spirit speaks to you or the Lord puts his finger on something that says something's got to change and there's a major decision that you have to make. How will you walk away from that moment? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for all that's been already said and done this morning through song and praising your name. Making much of Jesus here this morning. We I just thank you, Lord, for for this church and the good spirit here. Lord, we ask now that as we focus our attention to your word, Lord, that you would just encourage us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, that you'd use me as a a conduit to uh, communicate your message to your people here this morning. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity, and ask that you would bless our time together now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we quickly read over this passage, we may think that Jesus is telling this ruler here uh, to, to, uh, 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 there's another way to get to heaven, right? He's talking about uh, different commandments here. Uh, maybe you think that he's saying, just follow these couple commandments and you'll be okay. Uh, Jesus lists a few of those commandments that we talked about here do not uh, commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, right? Those kinds of things. But we know just following the commandments doesn't get us to heaven, right? doesn't get us to heaven. We need to trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And then we need to obey His Word. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 uh, says that we are saved by grace through faith, right? Saved by grace through faith. And it's believing by faith that we have eternal life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Not in the commandments, per se. Now, we need to follow the commandments. We need to follow God's Word, yes. But we're saved by grace through faith. So why does Jesus appear to offer this ruler maybe an alternative, if you will, alternative plan uh, to salvation, if you will, by telling him to sell everything that he had and give it all away? What Jesus is doing here, he's exposing what's in this ruler's heart. He's exposing what the true motive of this ruler was. And Jesus is using that one thing that he had a hold on, uh, that, that he's highlighting to this ruler. And may I say that it's not only this ruler that would fall short of God's standard, but we also fall short of God's standard as well. And we need to be, be cautious of that. Jesus mentions uh, many commandments there, but he purposely leaves out that one commandment that this young ruler was was missing, and it was uh, thou shalt not covet. Right? He had money, he had things. That was the one thing that occupied the chief place in his heart there. It's the one thing that he thought about. It's the one thing that motivated him, uh, that was in the way of, of, of the decision that he needed to make. And because he was reluctant to let that go and follow Christ, he not only missed out on the blessings of God, but he missed out on eternal life as well. Now, as we progress through the message here this morning, I want you to think about what is the one thing in your life? What is that one thing that might be keeping you from a closer relationship to God? We all have those things in our lives, right? Maybe you're placing something above God. We need to be careful of that. Maybe you're consumed with your job. Maybe spending time with family and friends. Maybe your hobbies are consuming your time and taking your time away. We met someone yesterday at the fair, and uh, I was just inviting him to the church. And I said, hey, you know, we have service at 11 o'clock. I'd love to see you there. He's like, well, I I got this car show I have to go to tomorrow. What's more important, a car show or coming to hear the word of God? Amen. You know, priorities, right? That's important. There's nothing wrong with having money or enjoying your job or all the blessings that the Lord's given you. But when these things become God's in your life, when you find yourself more excited about material things and only giving God the crumbs of your life, the leftovers, if you will, then that becomes a problem, isn't it? We need to be careful of that. Maybe you've been thinking about saving up for a new hunting hunting rifle or a hunting scope. I don't know if there's any hunters in here or fishers. Fisherman, right? Maybe a new lure or something. You've been thinking about that scope or you've been thinking about that new lure. Well, ladies aren't off the hook this morning either. Maybe that sewing machine, right? Uh, Maybe a new pair of shoes or something. You've just been thinking about something, right? It's consumed your thoughts. That's all you've been thinking about. Each day, each week passes and maybe your thoughts are consumed about how am I going to get that? Uh, Maybe if I work harder or I spend more time uh, in the office or whatever, I can save more money, right? We all enjoy new things, don't we? or new to to us, whatever it could be used, but it could be new to us, right? If we can afford it, especially today, right? There's uh, crazy expenses going up. Uh, Some things are needs, and there's nothing wrong with having new things. But let me ask you this question. You do so many new things, or we do so many new things for ourselves, right? Getting new stuff and, and those things. But when was the last time we did something new for God? When was the last time we were so excited about coming to church and and maybe handing out one of those bags or maybe going to one of the fairs and giving out John Romans, inviting people to to church? When were we excited about that? Maybe Pastor mentioned something a couple weeks ago about the fair. I don't know. But, you know, were you thinking about that every day, every week? Boy, I can't wait to get to that fair. I can't wait to stuff those bags of John Romans or, you know, give them out to the homeless folks or whatever. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Where's our motivation? Right? When was the last time we were motivated enough to do something new for God? We get excited about the new gadgets and those things, right? Uh, but do we do the same thing for God? You know, do we dwell on what the Lord wanted us to do days or weeks ago leading up to an event? Or did we just get lost and try to avoid the pasture so He wouldn't ask us, are you going to come, are you going to do this or that, right? Uh, so we, sometimes we we, uh, we just need to make sure that our motivation is in the right place. What if the Lord said to you this morning, I want to bless your life more. But there's one thing that's in the way. There's one thing that's keeping you from a closer relationship to me. And you must let that go in order to, to get closer to me. How will you walk away this morning? How will you leave church this morning if maybe the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now about that one thing in your life that's that's impeding your progress in, the, in your walk or your close in relationship to Christ? How will you walk away this morning? <clears throat> Will you walk away grieved like that young ruler did because he didn't want to give it up? Or will you be humble enough to let that thing go so the Lord can use your life more and bless you more and use your life as a conduit of His blessings? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, you have to turn there, and everyone that hath forsaken or everyone that has let go, everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Folks, the Lord needs to be first place in your life. Is He first place in your life this morning? Is He first place in your life this morning? Are you putting your family, your possessions, your pride, your fear, your hobbies above your relationship and walk with Christ? If you are, then you're no better than that rich young ruler, right? Who walked away sad. And you missed out on God's blessings. You missed out on eternal life. See, he was more concerned about his wealth than his walk, right? He was more covetous and missed out on on those blessings of eternal life. He was more consumed with his comfort than he was with conforming to what Jesus wanted him to do. You know, we all like to be in our comfort zones, don't we? Because it's comfortable, right? That's why we call it our comfort zone. If we're cold, what do we do? We put something on, right? Put on a coat, put on an extra pair of socks. And I know I was. someone's got some crazy socks here this morning. I got crazy socks too. So we talked about crazy socks this morning. So I don't know if anyone else does crazy socks. But, you know, if we're cold, we put on some things, right, to get us comfortable, to get us back in our comfort zone. But, you know, sometimes when we spend time in God's Word, not just read His Word, but let His Word speak to us, sometimes we may get out of our comfort zone, Right. Sometimes He may shake us up a little bit. We might get a little uncomfortable because maybe He's showing us what we need to do or what we need to let go of to have a closer walk with Him. Now in our text this morning, Jesus is using money as an example of that one thing that the ruler needed to let go, but you can insert anything. What is it in your life that the Lord is doing, right? Maybe there's something there that He wants you to let go of today. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to tell you here. I'm not saying you have to disown your family or quit your job or, or stop doing your hobbies, right? Uh, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, you know, what I am saying is, does He have first place in your life? That's the main thing. As you read His Word, as you listen to preaching, and the Holy Spirit zeroes in on that one thing that's occupying that higher place, when the Lord highlights that one thing that He knows that you're holding on to, that's keeping you back from that closer walk, closer relationship to Him, When he gets you out of your comfort zone, how will you respond? How will you respond? How will you walk away from that major decision point in your life? So back in our text here, as we consider the response from this ruler, we see a few things. We first see that there's an eagerness, right? An eagerness in wanting to ask Jesus a question. In our verse here, it says he came running, right? He came running. He was eager. He was excited. He had a question for the Lord. So let me ask you, when was the last time you were eager? When was the last time you were excited about coming to the Lord? You had a question for him. You wanted to learn of his word, right? We need to have that, that eagerness in wanting to seek the Lord. You know, even if it means leaving behind some things that we enjoy, and we'll see that here in a minute. Maybe we start strong in our Christian walk, but what happens over time? We get comfortable, right? We get comfortable uh, in, in, our, in our comfort zones there, in our Christianity. Maybe we lose that spark that we once had. Uh, for the word of God, for the things of God, right? And that enthusiasm. Maybe we'd rather be a reservoir of God's blessings, right? We just want to soak in all the blessings of God and be that reservoir and just kind of keep it to ourselves instead of being a river, right? Reservoirs, if you do the research, reservoirs become stagnant. And sometimes it can breed disease. And it's not a, not a healthy thing, right? But rivers, rivers have life, right? We don't want to be that reservoir of God's blessing. We want to be that river of life that the Lord can flow through us to reach others. And if we're not careful, we can settle into our comfort zone and start putting ourselves and our interests before what the Lord wants and what he expects of us. You know what that does when we put ourselves in that position? It grows our fear and it stifles our faith, right? It stifles our faith, stagnates our faith in wanting to move forward for God. Many of you might be familiar with that one servant that uh, or that had that talent, right? When he was given a talent, what did he do with that talent? He, he buried it. He hid it, right? Uh, he wanted to keep it for himself. There. Uh, how did that turn out in the end? Didn't turn out very good for him, did it? You know that servant not only became fearful with that one thing he was given, but he also became faithless and he became fruitless with what he had there. And when the master came back, he wasn't happy when he found out that that servant didn't do anything new with what he was given. You you all have been given blessings. You've been given talents. You've been given abilities. Are you using that for the Lord? Don't hide that. Don't be a reservoir. Be a river. Don't store up your treasures on earth, but be willing to step out by faith. Trust the Lord when he leads you. So in his eagerness here, we not only see this ruler running to talk to Jesus, but we see him respectful, respectful towards Jesus. He's kneeling at Jesus' feet, and he addresses him as good master. When was the last time that you had that eagerness and you ran to God and you knelt before Him and you asked him, "Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. Lord, I have this, this issue. I need your help, right? When was the last time that you went to God? And you knelt before Him, and you took time to listen to His word. Maybe you wanted job A, but instead he gave you job B, right? Uh, or maybe you wanted this item, and God said, "Well, not now. You got to wait just a little bit more. How did you walk away from that? Were you bitter? Were you critical? Lord, why, you know, you, gave, you blessed this guy, why didn't you bless me, right? Sometimes we can get that way if we're not careful. And sometimes we just run to God when we want something. And then when we're faced with a decision, we walk away upset. You know, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our selfish desires, our selfish pride, and come to God and respect God for his decisions and what he's wanting to do in your life. So in his eagerness, we not only see the ruler running, we see him respectful, but we also see him ready to hear. He's ready to hear. He's ready to listen. But he's not quite ready for what he's about to hear, right? This ruler thought that he met the standard of the law, but Jesus uh, touched on that one thing that proved that he fell short of it. Back in Mark 10, verses 21, uh, the Bible says that, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him one thing, one thing thou lackest. So he points out what that was, that one thing. So this ruler loved himself. He loved his money more than he wanted to follow Christ. So when Jesus calls him out, and tells him to give up those things, right? Sell those things and come, follow me. What happens? He he doesn't obey, right? He gets sad. All three gospel accounts point to the same response. Matthew's account in Matthew 19 says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Luke's account says in Luke 18, And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful because he was very rich. He had a lot of stuff, right? And in our text this morning, in Mark 10, he was sad at that saying and he went away grieved because he had great possessions. You know, he was given that opportunity to make a decision. And when he was confronted with that one thing he needed to do to have eternal life, he didn't, he didn't follow through. He made a conscious decision to trade his earthly possessions for eternity uh, in heaven, uh, being with Christ, right? How many people today are doing the same thing? Right? We go about our busy lives. We have a lot of things going on in our lives, right? Uh, you know we're full of ourselves sometimes, full of the world. and and where's our our uh, relationship with God? We're empty. There's an emptiness there. You think of a sponge as an example, right? Uh, our life is like a sponge. We're soaking in so much throughout the day. Uh, so many things are hitting us. and then you know worldly things. But when it comes to spiritual things, if our sponge is so full, a sponge can only hold so much, right? And then when we try to put some godliness in there, it can't hold much, can it? So we need to wring our sponge, wring our lives out of the world, right? And, and get more godliness in there so we can grow and continue to do what He needs us to do. Uh, both Matthew and Mark uh, says that he went away sorrowful, went away grieving, he turns his back on God. You know, and we need to be turning back to God in our lives, right? Not turning our back on God. So many people turn their back on God. They don't listen to God. They don't want to do what He's asking them to do. Listen to this comment from Matthew Henry. He says this, Though many that call themselves Christians do not act as if they believed it, it is certain that when we embrace Christ, we must let go of the world, for we cannot serve God and mammon. Christ knew that covetous covetousness was the sin that did most easily beset this young ruler. Uh, though uh, what he had, he may have gotten honestly, yet he could not cheerfully part with it. And by this, he discovered that he wasn't really serious about uh, about following God. So this ruler wasn't serious about eternal life. he was looking for another thing to add to his wealth, right? Sometimes the abundance that we possess can be the very thing that will keep us from following God. Now I need to move on here this morning. so if you found your if you found first kings, if you still got your place in first Kings, let's move on to first kings, okay? First Kings nineteen. first <clears throat> Kings nineteen. So in the time that we have left here this morning, I do want to take another look at one more familiar account here of how someone walked away when he was faced with a major life decision. So here we find a major decision in the life of Elisha. 1 Kings 19, and let's read 19 through 21, says this. So he, talking about the prophet Elisha now, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth, and Elisha, uh, Passed by him and cast his mantle upon him, and he, meaning Elisha here, uh, left the oxen and ran after Elisha the prophet, uh, and he said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, uh, and then I will follow thee. And he, Elisha, Elisha the prophet, said unto him, Go back again, for what I have done, for what have I done to thee? Uh, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Uh, so here first we see that Elisha, he was a worker, right? He was, he was a worker. He wasn't afraid to work. And even though he was a wealthy man, he was still working in the field uh, with the rest of his subordinates. Uh, he wasn't a dictator, if you will. He was a doer. Uh, He had his hand to the plow, we see there, and he was out in the heat. He was not afraid to work or to sweat. And he may have been wealthy and had all the authority and status, yet he was humble enough to have his hand to the plow and to work. And uh, this is a good example for us today. Hard work builds character, amen? I know it's hard to find these days, right? Uh, But we see that here in the Bible. And and, uh, many great men of the Bible were used of God because they demonstrated humility and they demonstrated ability to work. Uh, Moses managing the flock of Jethro, uh, David tending the sheep, Peter as fisherman, and in our text here with Elisha working in the field. So not only do we see Elisha as a worker, but second we see Elisha is worthy of his calling. He's worthy of his calling. The prophet Elijah was not out just walking around one day and he happened to see people and say, I'm going to pick this guy and and throw his mantle on him, or throw his coat on him, right? As we'll see here in a minute. You know, God had already found Elisha to be worthy, and He chose him to be the successor for Elisha. Back in 1 Kings 19, we won't uh, go back to read that there, but uh, but He's already chosen. So Elisha had no idea what was about to happen to him. He was just a humble worker serving the Lord, or you know, doing his best there, and he was found worthy. In verses 15 and 16. God tells Elijah the prophet to go and find Elisha and to cast his mantle upon him. Now, a mantle was a garment of a prophet, if you will. Uh, It was uh, made of animal hair or decorated, something that was very distinct, very unique, right? Uh, So when you saw someone coming with this type of a garment on, you know he was a special guy. Uh, Something special was was about this guy there. Uh, So Elisha understood what was about to happen to him as soon as he saw Elijah coming, right? And my final thought this morning uh, is about something that really stuck out to me here uh, in these verses here. It's how Elisha walked away. How Elisha walked away when he faced the major decision. As we'll see here, Elisha's response to following the will of God was much different than that of the the young ruler, wasn't it? Elisha knew that he had a major life decision to make. He knew he had to let go of everything that he had and follow Elisha and not hold on to those things. But because Elisha's heart was not covetous, it wasn't tied to his stuff, it wasn't tied to the things that he had, right? He was focused on wanting to do the right thing. And because of that, Elijah chose to let everything go and follow God. But he makes a request first before moving forward with Elijah. And that request was to briefly return home. Briefly go home. Look down a couple verses here, 1 Kings 19 and verse 21. Says this, And he returned back from him, uh, talking about uh, his discussion there with Elijah, he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave it unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So why does Elisha go back first before going forward? We read other examples of how the disciples were called, right? Jesus passes by, they're mending their nets, and what do they do? They immediately drop their nets, right? They, they immediately respond to Christ. So what's the deal here with Elisha? I believe Elisha goes back not to delay his commitment, but to be an example to the people. To be an example to the people and to physically cut ties with that old life. He doesn't go back to hold back. He goes back to give back. He goes back to give back, to be a testimony, to show that he's given 100% to this new call, that he's all in to what he's being asked to do here. Uh, he shows his obedience by letting go of the, that one thing that otherwise would have held him back, and that's the key point here this morning. He walks away from his worldly employment, from his riches, uh, the things that he was heir to. He walks away from his parents, from his friends, everything that he had, and he walked away from it. And this is the part here that really, that really uh, got me. It's you know he goes a step further than that to prove his his sincerity, and this is what was amazing here. He takes all the tools of his employment, right? Everything that he had, uh, the instruments that he used for working, everything he needed for that earthly vocation, uh, the plow, the yoke, the belts, all those things that, that he used uh, uh, there, and he takes them all in front of everyone and he burns them up. He cooks, he cooks it all together, right? He burns it all during a farewell feast. But not only that, he took even the oxen that he was using to plow the field and he burned them up too, right? Right? And that's what I call making a commitment. I mean, he was all into this thing. Everything he had that he knew, he put it all on the line for God because that's what God was calling him to do. You know, And, and that's, a, that's definitely a commitment there. And there's no question about what was going on. Think about your vocation, whatever that is, maybe carpenter, plumber, I don't know what you do. But if, if God calls you today, think about taking all of your stuff, all of your tools, all the things that you know and that, that you have, and just either lighting them on fire, or not, not suggesting you do that, but uh, you know whatever God calls you to do, just give them away, give everything away, or whatever it is, and say, I'm done with this, and I'm going to follow you, God. And that, that's, that's the picture that we have here. You know, As soon as that feast was complete, Elisha then goes back to Elijah and faithfully serves alongside of him. Matthew Henry said this, An honest calling in the world does not at all put us out of the way of our heavenly calling any more than it did Elisha. His heart was touched by the Holy Spirit, and he was ready to leave all and go with Elijah. Uh, He was taken from following the plow to sow the seed of the word, just like the apostles were taken from fishing to go catch men. You know, the Lord knows the ends from the beginnings. Uh, And he had already chosen Elijah uh, to to, uh, follow Elijah. And uh, the Lord knows what he wants to do in your life. Amen. He knows what you're going through. He knows what that one thing might be that's keeping you uh, from a uh, closer walk with him. And many times he'll bring us to that decision point, and he's looking for a willing servant, a willing heart, someone who's in tune with God, someone who's in tune with his word, uh, and he wants to use in a mighty way. Not someone who's self-centered or prideful, uh, but someone who's ready to listen, ready to go, ready to work. I had to let go of something in my life, as I showed on the video. I didn't have to retire from the military. I could have stayed in the military, had a good career going, but I had to let something go in order for God to use me more. And that was letting go of the military. And that's what I had to do. Uh, The apostles, as I mentioned, they had to let go of their fishing profession, right? So what is it in your life that God may be asking you uh, to get rid of? How will you walk away this morning? Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you in some way? Maybe God's waiting for you to let go of that one sin, that one possession, that one thing, before He pours His life out for you and gives you blessings that you have no idea uh, that He has for you. I have a final story here that I want to share with you, then we'll have a time of invitation. F.B. Myers was a Baptist preacher. Uh, He was an evangelist in England in the late 1800s. Some of you may be familiar with with his writings there. And what I'm about to read to you this morning was taken from an address that he gave to students back in 1898. And during his address, he was illustrating a time when he had to make a major decision, when he had to make a major decision in his life, a time when he gave all to God. In his address, he said this to the students. He said, I knelt down that night and thought I can give myself to Christ as easily as possible. So in my mind, I gave him an iron ring. And this ring was the iron ring of my will. And it had all the keys of my life on it. I gave him that iron ring uh, with the exception of one little key. I kept that one key back for myself. In my submission, I heard the Lord ask, are all the keys here? I said, they're all here but one, Lord. It's the key to a tiny closet in my heart, which I must keep control. I said, it's just a little closet. Thou needest not interfere with it. Then as the Lord put the ring, iron ring back into my hands and he headed away from me towards the door, he said this. He said, my child, if you cannot trust me with all, you cannot trust me at all. I tried to make terms. I said, Lord, I'll be so devoted in everything else. But I can't live without the contents of that one little closet. I need that key. He seemed to keep moving away from me toward the door. So I called him back. I said, Lord, I am not willing, but I am willing to be made willing. So I looked up into the face of Christ. I gave him that one last key. I said, Lord, now I am thine. It seemed as though he went straight for that little closet. I knew he was going to do that. uh, and, And he knew it too. But within a week's time, he had cleared out that closet. And filled it with something so much better. Why, what a fool was I. He always wanted to take away those the sham jewels that I had stored in that closet and give me something real. I learned that night to let go and say yes. And I've been saying yes to the Lord ever since. He goes on to say this. says, I believe, young friends, that my whole life was just hovering in the balance of that one decision. Just that one little key. If I had kept that key to that closet to myself, if I had walked away and mistrusted Christ... He never would have trusted me with his blessed word. Now, I don't know what decisions you may be facing this morning. Uh, Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you desire a closer walk with God. Maybe there are some things that are holding you back from moving forward with what God wants you to do. Are you prepared to let that go this morning? How will you walk away from here this morning? As we prepare for a time of invitation, if you're able, if you'd stand with me, please, with your heads bowed. And your eyes closed.